2 verses 1 to 11, Shalem is going to read it out to us. Over to Shalem. Thank you, Uncle Sanjay. Uh, today's scripture portion is being taken from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi and Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Thank you. So these were the wise men of Magi who came from the East. It's such a joy to be with each one of you and to see your wonderful, beautiful faces. I was sitting and wondering, uh, yes, uh, certainly we miss gathering together. It would have been fun just getting together at uh, the auditorium uh, just to uh, be able to smell each of you, the wonderful perfumes we wear on a Christmas Eve and the wonderful dresses that we wear and, and the wonderful way everybody looks like. But I also realized uh, this has been a blessing in disguise because I have been to so many houses uh, just sitting here. You know, all of you who sang, uh, all of us, uh, including, let's say, about 80 plus people uh, visited your house. And we saw how beautifully you have decorated your house. We saw the Christmas tree. And, uh, and so those of you who are still hiding behind the camera, if you want to show off how good your decorations are, please turn on your cameras. It would be fun. And everybody would get to see what you have done. See, you can't keep the Christmas tree on after, after today. Right? So you, you got to take the Christmas tree down. So this is perhaps the good time to tell Pastor Michael, Pastor Michael, look, we have decorated our house and we addressed him well and we are sitting perfectly all right. So, uh, but if you have internet connections, I understand you don't have to put it on. Uh, it's perfectly all right. But thank you so much uh, for that wonderful program. Uh, the children did a fantastic job. Just so nice to see them. Some of them wanted to become a shepherd. Uh, you know, some of them uh, wanted to uh, become a sheep and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so good to hear the songs put by the worship team and of course uh, the, the children who've gone far and wide and, and to hear their greetings come in. Uh, I, I, I barely liked uh, you know, the first uh, gentleman who said, well, you might not remember me because I was in the Sunday school. Uh, it's just amazing how children grow up so fast and, uh, you know, and move away from the church. But you know what was encouraging was this, that that each one of them told about how they have found a family of God elsewhere. 
and they are connected to a family, they're connected to a community, and they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God that they got their foundation set right uh, at a place called SDC. And I thank you uh, to each one of you. And I'm sure all of those kids would look at you and call you uncles and aunts. But what a privilege that is, right, to be called as uncles and aunts of the Lord. Uh, who laid their foundation so that uh, so that they could build their foundations now on Christ and be a blessing to so many out there. So thank you uh, so much, Dr. Sanjay and Sister Pinky and uh, Pastor Michael and his family uh, and Sister, uh, Sister Florence and Brother Joseph uh, and uh, Brother Prince and uh, all of you there. So, so good to see you. Sister Jackie Bonnie still has the same smile I get to see when I get to the auditorium. So she hasn't changed the bet. The COVID hasn't affected her at all. You know, so good to see that smile. Uh, wonderful. Praise God for each one of you. Well, this morning I thought I will talk about four responses that we could probably have towards the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so when you look at the Christmas narrative, uh, in fact, the Christmas narrative was read to us in three portions by three lovely people. They read the scriptures to us. But as you look at those Christmas narratives, you look at that Christmas story. In fact, one of the traditions I want to keep alive in my family uh, uh, is to sing Christmas carols. So, so I'm sure all of you are singing Christmas carols. And I've been telling my church, look, sing it so loud that your neighbor knows that you are truly joyful and you're, and you're happy that Christ is born. Uh, you know, in fact, happiness is seen on our faces. Uh, I wonder when you meet your neighbor how your faces look like. But let your face radiate the joy of uh, heaven. It's Charles Spurgeon, if I'm not wrong, um, or, or John Wesley, one of them, uh, who said, when you speak about uh, Christ, let all of the fiber in your body vibrate and radiate. And when you speak about hell, use your normal face, right? So, so when you speak to your neighbors about the joy of Christmas, that everything within us radiate. Uh, because I think we are the only people who knows how it all ends. So we are hopeful people, aren't we? So one of the great traditions of Christmas is to look at the Christmas narrative with your families and probably read it out and, and talk about it and sing those songs and, and, and how nice we could gather together this uh, fashion too to uh, do the same as a body of Christ. So what are the four responses to the birth of Jesus Christ, surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, and then looking at what could be my response uh, to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Response number one is that of creation. The creation put up a miraculous star in heaven to tell the whole world, hey, look, a king is born. Now, incidentally, the closest star that is to the earth is that of the sun. And the light of the sun can reach our earth just a little over eight minutes. That's at the speed of light. Now, the other star, which is perhaps the closest to the earth, is called as Proxima Centauri. And its light reaches earth in about four years and two months. Well, I said four years and two months for its light to reach our planet Earth. So imagine with me for a second, for the Christmas star to have shined on the right moment for the Magi's to notice, it must have started shining at least minimum four years prior to the sighting of the star in itself. Well, now with the conjunction of the Jupiter and the Saturn, uh, we don't know. It could, it could have been one of those conjunctions too, but... The fact is, it took at least about four years for the light to reach 
our planet. Now, amazing, isn't it, that the creation started its preparation and great expectation a long time before even Mary got to know that she was to be conceived with this child. So the response to the creation is that of, of great expectation and anticipation, shining alone even before the narrative has actually started. Response number two is that of the learned astrologer come scientist. Some call them the wise men. Now, we do not know how many wise men were there. Oftentimes, the photos will give you three wise men. If you ask children, they will tell you three wise men. Well, the fact is, we don't know how many wise men came. But they were learned astrologers come scientists as well. And, 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 and they were perhaps Zoroastrian dualists, mostly polytheists. They believed in many, many gods for that matter. This guy studied the heavens and interesting enough, they did not see any conflict between science and the search for truth. In fact, they use astrology and astrology leads them to the truth. And what is even more interesting is this, that God uses their language, the star, for they studied the stars to lead them to his son, Jesus. Now, what amazes me is this, that God uses our language, the language we understand, to lead him to his savior, Jesus. God, God uses the language you understand and I understand to bring us to his savior. So for them, star led them to the scripture and the scripture led them to the savior. The star led them to the scripture and the scripture led them to the savior. And their response is amazing, isn't it? Their response is that of worship. And our response number three is that of King Herod. And we read about it, didn't we? And this response is that of fear and deception. He wanted no king to threaten his reign. In fact, if you read upon Herod, uh, he's a very vicious king in that sense. He killed one of his uh, Jewish wives. He killed uh, both of his sons because they threatened his kingdom. Now, he is very threatened the moment the wise men come and tell him, hey, look, a king is born. He, his response is that of fear and of insecurity. And he is greatly disturbed and he is uh, threatened to the extent that he commands the death of all the boys under the age of two. Can you imagine the bloodshed that happened? Can you imagine what insecurity can do to the innocent and the helpless that live around in our community? Response number four is that of the chief priest and the scribes. Isn't it fascinating that the priest and the scribes knew where the Messiah is to be born. They knew their scriptures very, very well. They had the right information, but the wrong response. They had the right information. They got the data accurately correct, but their response is that of indifference. They were just about five miles away from the Messiah, yet they refused to go and see him and worship him. So my friends today, my brothers and my sisters and my little ones who are hearing me and uh, our senior ones who have joined us uh, along, what is our response today as we come and celebrate the birth of our Savior, whom we call our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ? Is that a preparation in great anticipation? Like the star that started shining at least four years prior to the actual sighting of it by the wise man? Or how about you being a star shining out there for Jesus? How about you 
shining a star for Jesus in the community, in the society, in the apartment Christ has placed you. Let your light pierce every darkness till it reaches the one looking for it. You know, it's, it's amazing. The, 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 the fact is, you see, you can't define darkness. Darkness is but nothing, uh, but the absence of light. The moment you bring a candle into the room, darkness can't help but flee. And the Bible calls you as the shining star. If you look at uh, Daniel chapter 2, Alan, if Philippians uh, chapter 2 and 15, it talks about us being the shining star, shining in the darkness. Now, I know shining in the darkness could be a lonely journey. Shining in the darkness could be filled with despair and agony. But who knows, just in time, you might be spotted. Just in time. Your shine would be spotted by somebody who is searching for the truth. Just in time, you may be the reason by which some men may come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my encouragement to each one of us is to hang in there in the darkness, in the pain, in the agony, in the COVID times and keep shining and shining and shining for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or would your response be that of the wise man who did not give their pursuit of truth, even when the object of study, the star, took them to a savior who was not their God. They were polytheists. I mean, now here Jesus is a foreign God to them. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have to worship him. But here is where I think the men were audacious enough in the pursuit of truth. And even when the truth led them to an object far away from what they expected, they follow the lead that was given to them and they come searching for the king. Now, not many would do that. Not many would do that. You know, they would, they would, know, that they would know the truth. But when they know that the object of truth is different from what they expected, many would say, I'm sorry. I have many other obligations I can't follow. And here is where I think a lot of people struggle. You know, it's like when you're doing a PhD or your doctoral studies, you do a hypothesis, right? And when you do a hypothesis, uh, you fairly have an idea where your research is going to go to. But sometimes it so happens when you're researching, your research, uh, you know, uh, findings take a U-turn. But that's when the metal of yours is tested, whether do you want to go to where your research is taken or you would want to abandon it. And it is here where uh, the story of Nabil Qureshi would come, uh, you know, to, to help us. You know, when Nabil was talking and he would, he would tell us, hey, look, it was so difficult, so difficult for me when I knew the truth. I knew Jesus was the truth. When I searched for him and I researched for him and I knew he was the truth. But how about my Abba and how about my Ami? They grew me up. They brought me up. They gave me a shelter. They gave me a name. They gave me an identity. How can I be so rude to them? Did you know a Muslim takes about an average of seven years to come to Christ? It's not that he doesn't know the truth. He knows what the truth is. But he actually takes about seven years counting the cost of what it means now to follow Christ. See, some of us don't understand it because we grew up in the Christian families. We don't know what, what that means. But then Nabil would say, when I looked at the cross, 
when I looked at the Savior, when I looked at the truth, I could not but help and bow down in worship like the wise man. And tell my Abba and tell my Ami, I am sorry, I love you, but I can't help it. I have to go where truth is leading me. Are you somebody sitting on the wall today? Can I ask you, can I encourage you? You're a young man, perhaps, a young woman, perhaps, a young lady, perhaps. You don't want to give up on faith. Can I say, do not give up on the pursuit of truth and have the audacity to go where the truth leads you. And the story of C.S. Lewis is brilliant. In his book, Surprised by Joy, he says, one of the most reluctant converts of all of England got down on the knees and accepted God as God. Well, one of the other responses that we could have is that of King Herod, who acted in fear and in anger. You know, would you know insecurities can lead you to ways and means that would be damaging and destructive? In fact, one of the major resistance to Christ, I think, is in giving up of our thrones. And did you know God wants all the thrones? He's not satisfied with just, just making that confession to him and say, Jesus, I accept you as my personal savior. He says, no, I want it all. I want it all. And, and, and if you're a true, honest Christian, we all know Christian journey is so difficult because Christ, you know, he shakes our foundations. He shakes our rooms because he wants to occupy every room that we have. And here King Herod struggles with his own throne. He says, no way. It also tells us this, that not many people would come to worship the king. Many in our community would be like King Herod, who because of the insecurities will come to the very extent of destruction, where the name Christian would be a bother to them. But that's okay. If there was a Herod then, there'll be many Herods now. You and I do not have to be afraid. There will be many killings that will happen. There will be many atrocities that will be brought upon. But the story tells us that the Lord was protected. He grew up and he accomplished the purpose for which he came. And can I say this? The church is the Lord's startup. It's not any one of us. And we don't have to be bothered about what the church would do, how the church would go about in any seasons for that matter. For Jesus, our Lord said, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All that we have to do is not to be worried about how Christ would run the church. We just have to remain faithful and stay with him and stay close to him as he navigates us through this time. So there would be Herod's that would come. Or are you a Herod today who is unwilling to give away certain thrones of your life and God is standing at that door and saying, hey, look, open up your finances, open up your relationship, open up your bitterness, your anger, you know, your life. And you say, God, don't touch this one, Lord. I'll give everything else, but just not this throne of Lord. You know what? The moment you say no to God, he comes with all his force and he says, I want that alone. And that's why I think we have to sing that song, I Surrender, every Sunday because, you know, we, we sometimes give it to God and we take it back. <laughs> and we take it back home. And we come back next Sunday, we give, we give it back to God, we take it back home. We have to give it all to the Lord Jesus. Or would your response be that of the priest and the scribes? The response of indifference, being so close to the Messiah, yet refusing to worship him. You know, that is one of our dangers as Christians. 
He's so close to him. We sing songs to him. We worship him. We play our instruments. We know the scriptures well. But we have forgotten to bow down. We've forgotten to come and kneel at the cross. You know, one of the dangers for me as a Christian uh, minister is that, that I can prepare sermons after sermons and, and, and do this uh, from church after church and church. But when was the time I would come and kneel down before him? Would our ministry, would our ministry end up becoming a performance? Would Christmas end up becoming performance? Or would we truly come with all of our heart, with no shadow of indifference, and yet with all our learning, with all that God has blessed us, with our families, we will come to the foot of the cross. And with all our utmost devotion, we will worship him and we will adore him. This Christmas, what would your response be? Would that be like the star waiting in great expectation, shining through with great patience and, and, and that of the Magi's? willing to follow the truth where the truth led them or would your response be that of Herod you're probably angry angry at God angry at relationships you might have to give up those to come to truly worship him or would your response be that of the Pharisees or the scribes or the priest who knew all the details of the scriptures yet they refused to go and worship him may the Lord truly help us to be that shining light, to come before his presence with that utmost devotion and to praise him and to thank him. And can I say this? Keep shining for Jesus. Keep shining for Jesus. You might not know who might be looking for and they might spot you. And only heaven will say, because of you, I found Christ. Because of you, my sister, I found Christ. So keep smiling, keep shining and keep a joyful countenance and may I also say keep singing the glories of God and may that be a sweet aroma in the presence of God so thank you so much and happy Christmas and Merry Christmas to each one of you and God bless you thank you thank you